This teaching comes to you from the team at Anchor Church Sydney. We hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources or info, check out our website www.anchorchurch.com.au Well, good morning, Anchor. My name is Brad Koneman. I'm one of the pastors here at Anchor Church and it's a real privilege to be opening God's Word. I'm also part of Forest Lodge Gospel Community. So we're really excited to be sending out two new GCs to be living in community on mission this morning. I've been meeting with Coons and Rowan and James and Sam, cheering them on and really believe that God's going to use these guys and the community that's around them uh, to see our city transformed by the gospel. Well, this morning we're continuing our series called Follow Me. Did anyone pick that up as we were reading those readings, that repetition, follow me, follow me? follow me. We've seen that Jesus is the master and that his mission is to bring the kingdom of God through his life and death and resurrection. And this morning we're looking at the call. What does Jesus call us to do? Now, C.S. Lewis, who wrote Narnia, he reckons that most of us go through life just half awake. And that's not because you've had a sleepless night with kids or because you need an extra shot of coffee in the morning. Uh, No, he thinks that we're only half awake to the spiritual realities of what's happening in our world. You know, our days and our minds are filled with coffee and cafes, with Instagram and iPhones, with Opal cards and office cubicles, with nappies and night feeds, with house prices and stock markets, with washing up and wishing for more. And we think that we're engaged in the real world. But what C.S. Lewis reckons is that we're actually only living in the Shadowlands. We go through life in the Shadowlands, daydreaming, half awake, sleepwalking through life. And he reckons that our most desperate need is to wake up, to wake up to the true realities of God and His kingdom what God has created in Christ. And so this morning we're looking at the call of the gospel that wakes us up to these realities, that when Jesus calls, the Holy Spirit comes and awakens awakens new life. It helps us to see life as it truly is. And we'll see that discipleship following Jesus is about staying awake. So let's pray. Father, we confess our need before you that we are... So often, just half awake, daydreaming, sleepwalking through life, and we need your Holy Spirit to awaken our hearts this morning. So come and speak with power through your word. Help us to live a life that is fully awake to Jesus and the kingdom of God. Um, And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the text that we're really zooming in and focusing on this morning is that first one that Matt read, Mark chapter 1, verses 16 to 17. So if you've got your Bibles open, which I hope you do, keep, the, keep it open at Mark chapter 1, verses 16 to 17. I'm going to read that for us again. Mark chapter 1, verses 16 to 17. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, what did he say? Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately, immediately, they left their nets and followed him. So this morning, we're going to look at the one who calls, and then what he calls us to do, to follow and to fish. 
You got that? You can track them with me. The one who calls and then what he calls us to do, to follow and to fish. And this, what he calls us to do, that's actually the framework for the rest of this series, the next six weeks. We're going to be then spending three weeks on how do I follow Jesus and then three weeks on how do we make disciples, how do we fish. So the one who, who calls us, what he calls us to do, to follow and to fish. So first, the one who calls. Now, if someone asks you to do something, how quickly do you respond? If your partner says, can you do the dishes for me? Oh, yeah, sure, sure, yeah. After the next ad or after this show's finished, your boss says, oh, can you work on this project? You're like, oh, yeah, I think I can fit that into my schedule next Friday. I'll get it back to you next week. Here in this encounter in Mark chapter 1, we see a, a stranger approach two fishermen and tell them to follow him. And immediately, these fishermen leave their nets and follow him. Now, this is not just kind of following him down the street for a coffee or joining him for Samoko. These guys are not coming back to their boats. They leave their nets. They leave everything, their career, their way of life to follow this man from Nazareth. Why would anyone do such a crazy thing? Well, we need to see that Jesus' identity and his mission are the basis for his call. Jesus has a unique authority as our master, as Lord and Christ. And when he calls, you drop everything and respond. Now, Jesus' call to discipleship isn't just to these fishermen. His call echoes to every single one of us through Mark's narrative. But here's the thing. You cannot disciple your way up to God. If our starting point for discipleship is about me and what I've got to do, then we're getting it all wrong. See, Jesus didn't go into the synagogue and look around for his A-team of superstar students, people who had their life together, who would qualify to be his disciples, who might do a good job of it. No, he went to the most unexpected place that you could think of. He went to the backwater of Galilee, to the lake, and called these rough-as-guts tradies whose lives were messy and sinful. See, the fishermen, they didn't deserve the call. It's not like they were employee of the month, they got their photo up on the wall, hey, I've done enough, good enough job, I'm going to get a promotion, I'm going to get a bonus, I've qualified myself to be a disciple of Jesus. No, the reason for Jesus' call isn't because of something beautiful or something lovable in us. It's not that we moved our way towards him or met him halfway. The only reason for Jesus' call is because of him, because of his love, because of his mercy. We see here that Jesus is always the one who takes the initiative in discipleship. And so we need to start with him. He pursued us when we weren't interested. When we were God's enemies, he came to us. You see, God doesn't wait for us to set our alarm clock and wake ourselves up spiritually. No, when we're living in the shadowlands, he comes and wakes us up by his grace. And as he calls, we are awakened to new life by the Holy Spirit and we begin to see life in a different way. We see that Jesus is the master, that he has authority to which we must surrender. We begin to understand our new identity as his people, that we are children of God, dearly loved, that we call to God as our Father, we're children. We are now disciples Students, servants, following Jesus. We are missionaries sent by God, empowered by His Spirit for His mission in the world. 
And when we see those realities, when we wake up to the realities of the kingdom, of course we will follow him. Wherever you call, Lord, I will follow. And so it's vital that we start with the proper foundations for discipleship. We've got to start with the master. We've got to start with the mission. We've got to start with the call. We need to see that Jesus is always the one who takes the initiative in discipleship. He is the one who calls us. And what does he call us to do? Have a look at Mark chapter 1, verse 17. Two things. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. There's a call to follow, and there's a call to fish that goes out to every single one of us. So first up, follow. How do we follow Jesus? We'll skip back a few verses to Mark chapter 1, verse 15. This is the very first thing that Jesus says as he comes on the scene preaching. Mark chapter 1, verse 15. He says, The time has come. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. Jesus knows there's something wrong with us. There's something wrong with the world that we live in and he calls us to repent, to change. You see, it's like we're like a lawn bowl. Has anyone kind of done barefoot bowls at the local bowler? You know, you go get a schooner, take your shoes off, roll the, roll the lawn bowl down. What happens when you look, roll the lawn bowl down the green? It doesn't go straight, does it? It's always turning to one side or the other. There's something crooked within us that's always turning us away from God. And it's called sin. This weekend I was on the street talking with our neighbour Rob and he was commenting on this pair of ripped jeans. And he was like, I don't understand the logic of ripped jeans. Rob is in his 60s, like very fashionable guy, drives a sports car. Like his day consists of going for a coffee and going to the gym and that's, like, that's his life. And he loves it. And he's like, I don't understand the logic of ripped jeans. Like, when my jeans get a hole in them, I throw them out. He's like, what's the deal with ripped jeans? And he's like, oh, I know. Holy jeans for a holy man. <laughs> and I'm like, um, uh, not really. Like, no, actually. Like, I, I have something wrong with me. He thinks I'm a holy man, but I have something wrong with me. Do you know that? That's not me, just me. We have something wrong with us. Jesus is calling sinners to repent. What does that mean? That's a funny word. Well, to repent is to turn. It's turning away from sin and turning to Jesus. It's like a big U-bop, a big U-turn for your life. You're turning away from living your own way and turning to surrender your life to Jesus. Repenting is turning. And then he calls us to believe. Now, believing is not just kind of tick the box, oh yeah, Jesus died for me, I know that bit. No, believing is a deep, full-hearted, whole-of-life trust in the mercy of God as our only hope of salvation. Believing is a pledge of allegiance to God and his kingdom. And so right at the outset of the call to follow is the call to repent and believe, to turn and to trust, to turn and to trust. Now, this is not just something that you do at the start of the Christian life. 
The call to repent and believe is a daily necessity for disciples of Jesus. It's a daily realignment, a daily recalibration of our lives to take the focus off ourselves and to put the focus back on Jesus, our master. It's like a piano. Has anyone ever moved a piano, like one of those big, heavy, upright pianos? I was actually thinking of getting a video up. To, you, have you, I, I didn't do it, but if you want to go home and like YouTube piano move fails, there are some funny ones of like trucks driving along and the piano falling off the back of the ute. But like these things are so heavy, big, fat, upright pianos. And does anyone know how piano works? Like Liam's got his piano here, an electric piano, but a big, upright piano. What's in the back of them? Strings, right? They're a stringed instrument and they've got little hammers that hit on the strings. And when you move a big upright piano, put it down in a new place, what happens to the strings? They all go out of tune. And so every time you move a piano, you need to retune it so it plays in tune. And our lives are a bit like a piano. Every day our hearts are wandering around, moving around, going out of tune. And every day we need to tune our hearts through repentance and faith. And this is why the practices of discipleship are so vital. On your Follow Me postcards, you'll see up the top that we're doing four practices of discipleship throughout this series because discipleship is practical. And the first two are prayer and Bible reading. And those two practices are so vital for daily tuning our hearts to sing God's praise, focusing our lives on Him through repentance and faith. And hasn't it been encouraging seeing the posts that people have been putting on Facebook? People have been enjoying that. I think I've got Chloe's one up here, is that right? Maybe? Yeah, part of it. It's been so beautiful, so amazing. I want to encourage you to take your postcard home, do some of those readings. You don't need to do all of them. Like in the first week, I'm doing this with Catherine and the kids over breakfast or dinner. We only did three of them. That's not a fail, is it? That's all right, I only did three. If you, if you only do one of the readings, that's, that's a win. If you do two, that's great. If you do four, whatever. <laughs> it's great. Take it home, do it. Let's do it together as a family because those practices of discipleship are vital for tuning our hearts, focusing our lives on Jesus. Because if we want to learn to love and live like Jesus, we need a deep, transformative work of the Holy Spirit as we repent of sin and believe the gospel. So let me ask you, what's the Holy Spirit convicting you of in your life this morning? Are there areas of sin, areas of unbelief in your heart? Where do you need to repent and believe the gospel? Because I trust that the Holy Spirit is at work now through his work, doing his job of convicting us of sin so that we turn away from our sin and turn to our Saviour. Where is that happening for you this morning? Now, we, the thing is that we can't actually change by ourselves. We've all got blind spots and we're all prone to self-deception, thinking we're all, all okay. To see change in our, in our lives, to see transformation, we actually need a community around us. We need people around us who are committed to seeing us change, who will point out sin in our lives, who will lead us to repentance and faith, who will help us to believe the gospel, who will keep us accountable in our obedience. See, discipleship is a community project. And because of this, 
The third practice on this card is so important, gospel triplets. If you want to see change in your life, it's going to be hard to do that just by yourself. We need to get around each other, pointing ourselves back to the gospel. So that's at the start of Jesus' call to follow him, the call to repent and believe. But then once we're, like, once we're doing that, how do we actually do, how do, we do discipleship? How do I follow Jesus? What does his life look like? Well, have a look at the third reading that Matt read, Mark chapter 8, verses 34 to 35. What does Jesus' life look like? What does it look like to follow him? If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. What was Jesus' life like? His life was shaped by the cross. Not only was he executed on the cross, bearing the curse of God, but he lived, he lived a cross-shaped life. He lived a life of love, serving other people, submission to his Father, joyful sacrifice, self-denial even suffering. And as we learn to become more like Jesus, to live in his way of life, we also live a cross-shaped life. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote this. Dietrich Bonhoeffer is a pastor in Germany who was uh, executed in World War II. So he knows what the cross-shaped life is like. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote this. The cross is not the terrible end to an otherwise God-fearing and happy life. It meets us at the beginning of communion with Christ. When Christ calls a man, he bids him, come and die. Every command of Jesus is a call to die. Now this isn't about kind of big heroic gestures, being a martyr. This is little everyday decisions to live like Jesus. The decision after our gathering, as we're having morning tea out in the courtyard, to go and talk to that person in the corner that everyone else is ignoring. Every day, cross-shaped life. The decision to get up 30 minutes early in the morning to spend time with your Father in heaven. It's an everyday, cross-shaped life. The decision, the decision not to look at a second time, to turn your eyes away. That's an everyday, cross-shaped life. The decision to give your money, that is an everyday cross-shaped life. The decision to refuse to lie for your boss, that is an everyday cross-shaped life. The decision to put away your pride and go and apologise to that person that you've wronged, that is an everyday cross-shaped life. The decision to Leave work early to go to GC or not to work on a Sunday so that you can be here with your church family. That is an everyday cross-shaped life. The decision to use your annual leave to serve on a camp or on a beach mission. That is an everyday cross-shaped life. The decision to risk your reputation to tell your friends that you're a Christian. That is an everyday cross-shaped life. Because it's these everyday, tiny little decisions that mark the Christian life as we seek to live like Jesus. So he calls us, follow me.
And the second thing that he calls us to do is that I will make you fishers of men. Jesus calls us to fish for men, to make disciples. Now, when you think about that metaphor, fishing, so there any fishermen? I know Aiden's right into it. Is Aiden here? Did I see him? Aiden loves fishing. Yes, yes. Now, if Aiden's out fishing, catches the fish, I don't know if he's like into catching and eating or just like release it back into the river. But when I used to go fishing off the jetty at my grandparents' place, we'd catch a fish and we'd kill it. Like that's what you do with a fish that you catch, right? What gets caught gets hurt. Fish for men. Well, that mission of fishing for men, it's not like catching fish for dinner. This is catching people for new life. This is catching them out of the trout farm and releasing them into the river. See, God wants to rescue humanity from the sin that enslaves us, from just swimming around aimlessly and to give us real life, real purpose. He sends us out as his disciples to throw out the nets of the gospel to catch people for life, to rescue them from death. And what we see here in this call to fish is that you cannot be a disciple without being a disciple maker. Mission is not optional. It's not for the special ops Christians, the super godly or gifted. It's for every single one of us, for every single one of you. It's our new life purpose as followers of Jesus. Now, the disciples had been fishermen, and now they will be fishers of men. And we see that Jesus actually repurposes their existing skills and their background for his mission. And he wants to do the same for each of us. What are the gifts that God has given to you? How can you use what God has given you for his mission? What are your industry skills, your connections, your influence? How can you use that for God's mission? Now, God will call some of us to leave our nets, to leave our careers, to leave everything behind, to leave the comfort of Australia to go for his mission. And it's worth me pausing here to ask you, is God calling you to leave your nets, to change direction in your life to be part of his mission? Or is he calling you to make radical changes to your life, to reorganize your life around his mission? Because he will call some of us to leave our nets, to leave our careers. But for most of us, God has put us where we are for a reason. Because the best place to fish is the pond that we're already in, the communities that we're already a part of. We need to see that there's just as much need for the gospel across the street as there is across the sea. Now, the best estimates are that only 8% of Australians attend church. Sydney just ticked over 5 million people in 2016, so that means that on its best day, on its best estimates, there are 400,000 people in church on any given Sunday, but probably much less. That means that there are 4.6 million people in our city that do not know Jesus, that have no hope for the forgiveness of sins or eternal life. And when you consider the eternal realities of sin and death, heaven and hell, we see that the need is desperate for people to know Jesus. And I was reminded of this this weekend by two things. Yet on, both, both of them happened on Friday. So on Friday... We were having lunch in the park and we started, so we live in Forest Lodge and we saw a big police helicopter 
overhead, circling around for half an hour. Did everyone hear about the murder in Forest Lodge? Happened about 100 metres away from where we were sitting at the time. The whole suburb was closed down by this murder in the streets about 100 metres from our house. The shadow of death hanging over our city. I was also talking to my other neighbour, Tom, on Friday, and he'd just flown back from Adelaide from one of his friend's funerals. This guy was 70, and two weeks ago, he was diagnosed with a really aggressive form of cancer that took his life in a few weeks. And Tom came back from the funeral, and he was saying, like, these guys were both atheists, and their funeral was just so depressing. Life, death, that's it. That is hopeless. And Tom was like, I'm a lapsed Catholic. I haven't been to church for ages. But I know that there's no hope. There's no life in that message. There's got to be something more. I'm like, yes, Tom. Yes, Tom. There is. There is something more. Wake us up. Open our eyes to the spiritual realities out of the shadowlands. And I, I got to use that opportunity to invite Tom to our church. And hopefully he'll come one Sunday soon. We look around our city and it is beautiful, isn't it? You see the harbour, all the amazing kind of gentrification around our city. It's so cool. It's beautiful, but it's broken. There is the shadow of death hanging over our city. We need to wake up to the spiritual realities around us. We need to align ourselves with God's heart that he looks out and he grieves over our city. He mourns for our city at the brokenness, at the sin, at the death, at people wandering around aimlessly, and he wants to rescue people for life. Who does God want to use to reach our city? He wants to use you and me. The church is, the church is God's mission strategy for the world. We are God's plan for our city. You are God's plan to reach your neighbours and colleagues and family. And he doesn't have a plan B. He's calling all of us to be fishers of men. Do you believe that? As you go out to work tomorrow, do you believe that that is your identity, that is your purpose, whatever else you're doing in your life, that you are a fisher of men? You are a missionary sent by God, empowered by the Spirit to bring the hope of new life to our city living under the shadow of death. Now, it's easy for us to feel defeated and discouraged as we consider God's mission living in a post-Christian culture. And it's easy for us to believe the story that we hear from the media, that religion is on the decline, that no one's interested in Jesus, that the church is dying. But this just isn't true. And we need to correct this narrative, both sociologically and theologically. So Mark McCrindle is a social demographer, and last year, 2017, he did this huge nationwide survey of faith and belief in Australia. And this isn't just kind of some random Christian guy walking around with a clipboard, kind of tell me what you think. Like, this, is, this guy's on Channel 7 News, like hugely respected social researcher, and this is what he found as he asked the average Joe Blue across Australia, across demographics, about faith and belief in Australia. He asked people about the perce their perception of the church. And 44% of Australians, they think that the church has a positive impact in our society. 44% think, wow, churches, they're pretty good. They're having a positive impact. 
for good in our communities. When he asked people about their perceptions of Christians, the top five characteristics that people put out there for Christians were these. Caring, loving, kind, honest and faithful. Now, there were some more negative ones further down the list, for for sure. But the top five, like when people look at you and you say you're a Christian, they think you're kind and caring and loving and honest and faithful. When he asked people there what they thought of Jesus, how significant he was, 53% of respondents said that he was very significant to world history and a further third of people said that he is personally significant to me. That's over 80% of people who think Jesus is hugely significant. And get this, 52% of non-Christian respondents were open to change their religious views. Wow. It is a lie that religion is on the decline, that people are not interested. We cannot buy into that lie. We need to correct that lie. People are interested in Jesus. They do think he's significant. They think the church is having a positive impact in the community. Sure, there are the haters, the minority of haters. But don't let that vocal minority shape how you reach out to your friends. Because generally, people are interested in church. People are interested in Jesus. We need to correct that narrative sociologically. But we also need to correct it theologically. Because God is more committed to his mission than you are. He has promised that he will build his church, that the gospel will be preached to the ends of the earth, that people will listen and respond in faith. And these realities, these sociological and theological realities should fill us with confidence, shouldn't they? As we go out into the mission field tomorrow, they should fill us with confidence and expectation. So, what will it look like for you tomorrow to play your part in God's mission? of making disciples. This is not about adding extra events onto an already full calendar. Mission is not a task that we tick off. No, because making disciples is our new life purpose, we live every day on mission. We organise what we're already doing around God's mission. We live every day with gospel intentionality. And I wanted to share just one story from our church family that has recently encouraged me. He's sitting right up the back. Nigel Ma, can I share this story about Parkrun? I should have asked you beforehand, but it's a really encouraging story, so I'm just going to do it. Nigel loves Parkrun. Is there anyone else out there that's a Parkrunner? Like Saturday morning, 8 o'clock, free free kind of five-kilometre fun run. Nigel's there every Saturday. He invites me all the time, and I never go. But he's there. He's there at St. Peter's Park, Sydney Park in St. Peter's every Saturday. And he's really intentional about how he uses this. He doesn't just kind of turn up, put his headphones in, get his head down and just kind of do his run, try and get his PB. No, he, he tries to meet the people that he's running with. And so over time, over years, he's been doing this for years, getting to know some of the fellow runners. And what it would have been like two months ago, six weeks ago or something, these guys, Nigel and Nick, they invited people back to their house for pancakes after park run. They invited some people from the Anchor family there and there were some spiritual conversations and I'm like, wow, Nige, everyday missionary, park run, using what he's already doing with gospel intentionality and that's an inspiring story for me and I hope that's an inspiring story for you as well. What will it look like for you to do what you're already doing, whether that's the gym or soccer or a reading club or whatever? 
doing that with gospel intentionality. Now, to help us think about this, over the last few years, we've had something called Five for Five. And I just wanted to remind you of this to help you think, how can I be an everyday missionary? Uh, So we want each of us to identify five friends that we want to know Jesus and then to do five things for them, to pray for them, to contact them, to bless them, to invite them to staff, to invite them to church and to share Jesus as opportunities arise. And why I think this is so valuable, because I think so often we can think, well, I'm on mission to everyone. But really, everyone is no one. And when you name it, when you put a name on it, I'm on mission to Tom this week, my neighbor. I'm on mission to my friend Andrew, my gay friend that I met in the park. When you name it, you can be intentional with it. So who are you pursuing on mission this week? Name it. Name that person. Who are you seeking to share Jesus with? Who is God putting on your heart right now that you might pursue them in love this week? What will it look like for you to say yes to Jesus this week? Where is the Spirit calling you to take courageous steps of obedience as you follow Him and as you fish for people? As Jesus calls us through the gospel, he wakes us up to a new reality. So let me pray again that God will wake us up and keep our eyes awake this week as we seek to follow him and fish for men. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, that your spirit, that it is the, your, your breath into our life, that your spirit uses to Awaken us to the kingdom of God. And Father, I I pray that even right now you'd be waking us up as we sit in our seats, that you'd be waking us up spiritually to what you were doing. And that this week that we would that we would stay awake by your spirit as we as we as we do that together as well. We need one another to stay awake and to follow you and fish for men. Father, we, we know that you've set us in this city as a city on a hill. And that light cannot be hidden. We long to see our city transformed by the gospel. And so do that this week. Give us opportunities. Give us courage. Give us boldness to love our friends and to speak, to speak to them about Jesus. So that the name of Jesus might be held up and honoured and made famous in our city. And so that our city might experience new life. I pray all of this. In Jesus' name, amen.